Welcome to the Magnificat Podcast. We are an international ministry to Catholic women. Throughout this series, we will pray together, share insights, and hear amazing testimonies, typically from women of faith who have been touched by the power of the Lord in their lives. This is a decidedly Catholic podcast, and in this series, you will hopefully learn more about the Catholic faith, God, the Blessed Mother, and much more. Thanks so much for joining us. Now let's listen to a great program. I love Magnificat. I love everything about this breakfast. I love this ministry. You know, I don't know about you all, but when I come here, it's like I can hit the pause button. I can stop to-do list, or I can stop whatever needs to be done and just pause for three hours and come and have fellowship and a nice meal and praise and worship Jesus and hear some wonderful things about Jesus. So I'm very grateful and blessed to be a part of this ministry. It's a gift that God has given me that I cherish. I am beyond blessed and I'm very humbled to be here with you this morning to share what the Lord has done for me. He has done some mighty works in my life and and when I look back on it now from the person that I was to the person that he has led me to be through the power of the Holy Spirit, way back then I could have never stood in front of a room full of people and shared anything. But I am very blessed to be here with you today. I'm very grateful that my family's here. My, I grew up in Westover. My, I am the daughter of Carl and Mary Basil, and I have a younger brother, Michael. We grew up in a pretty typical family. My mother quit her job a year after she had me and decided to be a stay-at-home mom, and my father provided for us. We did simple things, but we had fun. We'd go on pick Every night, we had dinner together as a family. We would sit down at the table. My mother was a wonderful cook and a wonderful baker, and she would spend days preparing meals for us, and it was a time of family. And we played games outside. I can remember some ferocious games of badminton, and I wasn't, uh, I'm not a good loser. Many times it would end in an argument, but I always won. So, <laughs> hey. And, and we had a strong sense of family. And to this day, we have a very strong sense of family. Grew up a cradle Catholic. My mother was a very faith-filled woman. She talked often about her faith, and she lived her faith. And my mother was an intercessor. She prayed all the time. And as a child, I remember her walking around the house always had a rosary in her hand and she had a great devotion to the Blessed Mother. My father, a faith-filled man, but very quiet about his faith. My mother was pretty much out there with it. And she drove the spiritual car of the family. She made sure we were at Mass every Sunday and she made sure we, the Holy Day Masses, if we did not go, which was never, but we were threatened with, if you don't do that, you won't do anything else. And she meant it ruined the faith and it was time for my brother's baptism and I remember this so vividly my brother was baptized in a private ceremony St. Teresa's I was so excited because I had never seen a baptism and I was excited because this was my brother we there and were gathered around the baptismal font and right before we start the priest points his finger at me and says you can't look and I kind of looked at him and I kind of waited for him to say, oh, I'm just kidding, but nothing followed. And I kind of, at that point, searched my parents' faces to see if that was a joke, but nothing was given away. I remember looking down and trying to sneak glimpses of my brother's baptism. And I caught a few, but I was scared because I thought, if that priest catches me, I'm done. Because you know, when I was growing up, you didn't challenge a priest. I remember I felt very much on the periphery 
And that was the beginning of my image of God. I felt very much on the periphery. And, and later when I asked, I said, well, how come I couldn't watch Mike's baptism? And my parents said, oh, you could. You know, he was just kidding. Well, I didn't know that. I went to Catholic school for 12 years. And I can remember preparing for First Holy Communion and First Reconciliation. And our second grade teacher was Sister Rose Marie. And Sister Rose Marie could get stressed extremely easily. And I can remember we had to know, as written, the Our Father and the Hail Mary and the Glory Be, and we had to know how to pray the Rosary. So my parents worked with me at home, and Sister Rose Marie worked with us in the classroom. And I remember the times kids, myself included, forgot a word or we substituted a word, and she just she came unglued. <laughs> she told us that we had to write a list of our sins. And we had to memorize that list. When we went into the confessional, we could not take it with us. And that if we left a sin out, it was not a good confession. And we would have to do it again. So I was sweating bullets. Now you have to understand, <laughs> I, I was a pretty shy child. I, I kept a lot inside and I thought a lot and I questioned a lot. And parents will, will testify to the fact that I questioned a lot. I, I needed to have answers and I needed to understand. That was a big drive of mine. But I remember in preparation and writing my sins down, I remember thinking as a seven-year-old, first of all, how many sins can I have? <laughs> I'm seven. And secondly, God wouldn't honor this. I mean, really? You know, I would have to go again? And he'd say, sorry, Carla, you know, that wasn't good. Come back when you got it right. Well, the day for First Reconciliation came, and Sister was a nervous wreck. Oh, and the one thing we had to do, and she checked us, is we had to hold our hands like this, but our elbows had to be out. They couldn't be down, and our hands couldn't be down. We had to do it exactly that way. The day for First Reconciliation came, and I was very nervous. And we gather into the church, and we're holding our hands the right way, and we go into the pews, and we wait. And it, it was just like forever to get, you know, to, to me. And I went in, and, you know, I'm sitting in the pews, and I'm going over all my prayers, and I'm going over my sins, and I'm thinking, okay, I got this. And I went in, and I heard that window slide, <laughs> and it scared me to death. <laughs> but I did it. I listed all my sins. I got the prayers right. And Sister said that if we made a good confession, we would feel so light and happy and couldn't wait to go back. I got my penance, which was one Our Father and one Hail Mary. I said my prayers, and I was done. In my head, I was never going back. Never. And I can remember one of my classmates went after me, and he came out of the confessional wailing. Aww. Sister Rosemary went up to him and said, hey, you know, what wrong? And he said, I've got my penance. And she said, well, what's your penance? And he said, well, it's three Hail Marys. And she said, well, you've got this. You know the Hail Mary. He said, I only know one. Are there two more you didn't teach me? <laughs> That's a true story. As I went on through school, I had questions about God. I had questions about the Catholic faith. And when I asked them at school, I was told we didn't question. We believed because we're supposed to believe, and that's our faith. And I didn't like that. And at home, I asked questions. And I got the same answer. It's we believe it, because we believe it, and we don't question it. So as I continued to grow, I, I was forming this image of God that wasn't a really good image of God. It was a God that kept me at arm's length. It was a God where I had to get everything right. It was a God that was full of just kind of like the Wizard of Oz. Anybody remember the Wizard of Oz? You know, that big booming voice? That's how, as a child, I envisioned God. 
the Wizard of Oz with that big booming voice and just Carla, no, and Carla, yes, and no. And, and there wasn't anything that drew me to God. I, I felt that God was a God that condemned and that judged. I wasn't sure that's what I wanted. So we prepared for confirmation in the eighth grade. By this time, you know, I'd gone to school with the same kids from first grade, and we knew each other pretty well, or we thought we did. When you go and you're with people every day for eight years, you get to know their quirks, you get to know their strengths, and you get to know their weaknesses. And as you go into junior high, you can have some situations which are very mean. We all put labels on one another. The athletes, the smart people, the popular people, this one and that one, and they're good labels, and there are labels that tend to undermine your self-esteem and I received the labels that didn't make me feel very good about myself even though I knew at that point they weren't true I tried to different to show that I wasn't really what they portrayed me to be but by that time you know the groups had formed and I was kinda on the periphery and on the outside and so I, I became very angry as a 13 year old I was angry at God I was angry at myself I was angry at my, I was angry at everyone because I prayed I asked God I said, please help me fit in. Please hear my prayer. And I felt like he didn't. So the time came for confirmation. We were prepared. I can remember, this is what we were told. We were told that when you are confirmed, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. That's what we got. I didn't understand that. My extensive knowledge of the Holy Spirit was the third person of the Trinity and the last leg of the sign of the cross. But I was confirmed. And I was a fully initiated Catholic. I'm not sure that's what I wanted to be. I was looking for who I was. I was searching. I was seeking for my identity. I can remember thinking, high school is going to be different. And I went to Catholic high school. I went with the same kids. But I thought, there have to be a few new ones. Maybe it'll be different. It wasn't different. I began in my freshman year of high school to experience short times of depression, where I would just become very withdrawn and very to myself. And... And I'd go to school and I'd come home and that would be the extent of it. At the end of my freshman year, I took the consequences where I didn't do anything else or go anywhere on Sundays because I refused to go to church. I was done with God. I was very angry at God. And I ridiculed him every chance I got. And I didn't miss an opportunity to do that. Now, in my sophomore year, I had the first lay teacher that I ever had for religion. And his name was Mr. Haynes. And Mr. Haynes was a young guy. And Mr. Haynes had blonde hair and blue eyes. <laughs> and I like blonde hair and blue eyes. And I'll never forget the first day he walked into the class. We're sitting there. And he walked in and he turned around and he smiled. And he said, well, good morning. Very upbeat. He wrote his name on the board and he put on his desk a Bible. I never had exposure to a Bible. I, I don't remember seeing one at home. And I don't remember being one being used in any of my religion classes. But he had a Bible, and he said, he introduced himself, and he said, I'm Stephen Haynes, and I'm going to be your religion teacher this year. And it is my goal for you to know Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the first thought I had was, this guy's not Catholic. And he proceeded to tell us that he had a relationship with Jesus, and it changed his life. And he wanted that for us. He said, we're going to share scripture. He said, we're going to share feelings. We're going to talk about what you like and what you don't like. He said, this is a safe place. He said, bring your questions. He said, because I want you all to grow. And when he prayed, it wasn't the Our Father or the Hail Mary. It was from his heart. It was spontaneous. And it was beautiful. And I just remember watching him. And I, and I remember looking at the desk thinking, because he was looking down. I'm thinking, is that written down? Is it down there? 
because it's just flowing from him. And I couldn't wait to go to that class every day. And at the end of the nine weeks, the first day of the second nine week period, I went to class and it was announced that Mr. Haynes was gone. To this day, I don't know where he went and I don't know why he left, but a seed was planted in my life. If we fast forward to my senior year in high school, by this time I was uh, experiencing severe bouts of depression. And my parents offered counseling and I refused and my mother said, you know, she and her friends were praying for me and I became outraged. And I said, I don't need your prayers. I don't want your prayers. I don't want your God. Pray for somebody who needs it. Now, about this time, my mother started going to a prayer meeting. I noticed a change in my mom. First of all, she had a Bible, like Mr. Haynes. She still walked around the house with a rosary, but she was singing these different songs. Catholic school people here, Faith of Our Fathers. Remember that song? Every day for five years, Faith of Our Fathers at Mass. These songs were different. They were upbeat, and she would sing them, and she'd sing them. She wouldn't hum them. She would sing them, and I'd listen, and, and I'd say to her, where'd you hear that one? And she'd say, oh, at the prayer meeting. And I, I said, you sing that at a prayer meeting? And she said, yeah, we sure do. As time went on, I noticed my mother becoming so much more peaceful, like, like Mr. Haynes, and, and very much more joyful, like Mr. Haynes, and, and much more gentle, like Mr. Haynes. That's like the fruits of the Spirit, and I didn't know it then. She kept going, and, and she kept growing in, in the Lord, and she had her time every day in, in her chair in the kitchen where she would take her Bible and she would pray. And I remember seeing that every day. She'd be in the kitchen at the same time, at the table, using her Bible, had her rosary, and she'd be praying. Well, I started to get really curious about this prayer meeting thing. So one night, I asked if I could go pick her up. I went to pick her up and I got out of the car and it was an August night and I looked in the window. I saw something I'd never seen before in a Catholic church. People were standing up, people were clapping. Never clapped in a Catholic church to music, never. The guitar players, and I thought, oh, there's guitar players. I love the guitar. And I remember seeing hands in the air. I didn't understand what that was about. But I remember looking at the faces. And I remember seeing the smiles and happiness. I mean, I just remember thinking, there is so much happiness in that room. And then I saw what I thought, this cannot be Catholic. One of the women was standing up. She grabbed the person beside her, and they started this train dance throughout the sanctuary. And I said, that's it. It's a cult. But, you know, there was something there because she changed. So when she came out to the car and we're driving home, and I said, what were you doing in there? And she looked at me and very simply said, we're praising Jesus for his love and his goodness and his mercy. And I said, love and goodness and mercy, huh? And she said, yeah, that's what we were doing. We do that every Thursday night. And I said, oh, okay. Graduated from high school, was resolute. I was going to college and I was going to finish in four years. And I was getting away from these people I'd been with for 12 years. I was going to get a degree and I was going to leave Morgantown and I wasn't going to get married and I wasn't going to have children. God had a different plan. It didn't quite work that way. Depression overtook me by the end of my freshman year in college and I quit. It was an effort to get out of bed in the morning. It was an effort to do anything and I, I, I turned to alcohol and I was drinking quite heavily. You know, my mom's still going to these prayer meetings and I'm, I'm having all kinds of questions about myself. Who am I? What do I want to be? What is all this? Why is this happening? And once again, searching for who I am. One night in February, my mom was at a prayer meeting 
and understand I, I renounced God. I, I did. I said some really awful things about him. I'm at home and I'm by myself. And I thought, I can't do this anymore. I was exhausted. I was empty. I couldn't do it. And then I had a thought, I am going to give God one more chance. Very arrogant of me. But I prayed a prayer that night. And it was simply, God, please help me. So my mother came home from the prayer meeting that night, and she said, hey, I'd like to talk to you about something. And I said, Mom, if you're going to preach to me, I do not want to hear it. And she said, no, I have a question for you. And I said, what's your question? And she said, I spoke with a woman at the prayer meeting, and she has written a book about her life, and she wants you to read it. And I said, why? And she said, well, because... She has a lot, of, she experienced a lot of what you're experiencing and she thinks she can help you. And I said, why would she want to help me? She doesn't know me. And she said, Carla, she loves Jesus and she wants to serve him. And I remembered my prayer. So I said, okay, I thought maybe this is God. I said, I'll read the book. So the next day she brought this book to my house and I was not in any state of mind to meet anybody, but I met her and she handed me the book. And she said, when you read this, after you're done, you know, if you want to talk or have questions, give me a call. And I said, okay. So I began to read the book after I stared at it for a couple of hours. I read it, and I couldn't believe what I was reading. It was my life. It was everything I felt about myself, everything I experienced, the thoughts I had about God, encounter and, and dealing with depression. You could have put my name in place of her name, and it was my life. And I was just astounded. And I thought, somebody gets this. Somebody understands what I'm going through. And then I came to this chapter on baptism in the Holy Spirit. And I didn't get it. I didn't understand what that was. I mean, I knew we were baptized. And there's that Holy Spirit guy again. But what's this mean? And I read it. And I got it. I read about her encounter with the Holy Spirit and how through the power of the Holy Spirit she made a, a transformation from a life of despair and depression and anger to a new life in Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. She talked about being healed and she talked about forgiving people and she talked about hope and she talked about joy. And I got it. It was like there was a light switch. I kid you not, it was that instantaneous for me. And I felt all the heaviness and the anger, and the frustration, and the self-loathing leave me. And I had a very physical sensation of something being poured on me. Just my whole body was warm, and I felt so loved, and I felt peace. I felt peace like I had never felt in my entire life. And as I look back on that now, I know I was baptized in the Holy Spirit that night reading that book, but I didn't know that then. I wanted more. I couldn't wait to talk to her. For so many years, this is seven, eight years, my mother had been praying and her friends had been praying and probably people I didn't even know had been praying for me even though I really didn't want any prayer. When we pray for people, I think that is the greatest gift that we can give them. Sometimes people say, oh, the only thing I can do is pray. The greatest thing we can do is pray. I, one of my favorite gospel stories, and it's in Luke, and it's uh, the gospel of the paralytic, the, the man who was paralyzed. And he's on the mat, and his friends are taking him to see Jesus. And they couldn't get through because there was such a crowd. They couldn't get to where he was. So they thought, hmm, let's go up on the roof. And they cut a hole in the roof, and they lowered him to Jesus. 
And Jesus saw their faith and said to the man, you know what? Pick that mat up. Go home. You're healed. So many people carried me to Jesus because I was paralyzed. I was paralyzed with depression. I was paralyzed with fear. I was paralyzed with anxiety. I was paralyzed with self-loathing and a whole list of other things. And they carried me to him for years. And they got me to him. And he saw their faith. And he said, Carla, get up. Start living your life in me and the power of my spirit. And that's what I did. So I called this woman that wrote this book. I said, I'd like to meet with you. And we met for a long time, once a week. And I bought a Bible. She said, anytime you read the Bible, you pray to the Holy Spirit. Well, the Bible was really hard for me. It was just like I couldn't get anything out of it. And I kept at it. And after a while, I was enlightened, the power of the Holy Spirit. And we prayed spontaneously, and that made me sweat. I think I have flashbacks to Sister Rosemarie. It was such a, a wonderful thing to do, to let the power of the Spirit like lead you in prayer. And then the day came where I went to a prayer meeting. Because when I looked in that window that night, I heard a voice say to me, one day you're going to be there. And I laughed it off. So I went to a prayer meeting, and she briefed me about what was going to happen, and she warned me about tongues. But I went to the prayer meeting, and I sat in the back row, in the last seat, closest to the door. Because I thought, if I'm not liking this, or if this really weirds me out, I'm leaving. And it started, and the music started, and I was just in love with the music. Then the praising started, the outward praise, and I'm a little uncomfortable with that. And the clapping, and that was fine. And then people with their hands, and not feeling it. And then the tongues, the praying in the tongues, a little uncomfortable. But the singing in the tongues, it, it just moved me. It was beautiful. It was the rising and the falling in unison, and the harmonies were just spectacular. And I sat there in awe, like, this is really cool. I could get used to this. And I kept going. And then I to a Life in the Spirit seminar out at the Friary. And I can remember the person spoke on, you know, the, the gifts of the Spirit. And she said, imagine yourself in a grocery store. And on the shelves of that grocery store are nothing but the gifts of the Spirit. And you fill that cart up with every gift you want. And when you're prayed over, you ask in expectant faith for those gifts. And you're going to get gifts. And I did that. I filled that cart up with everything but tongues. <laughs> I did not want the gift of tongues. And I'll tell you why I didn't want the gift of tongues. I still didn't quite understand that gift. And like I had gone back to university. And I didn't want to be sitting in a classroom and all of a sudden be praying or singing in tongues because I thought you had no control over it. I didn't understand it. So the time came for me to be prayed over and I'm, I'm praying for wisdom and I'm praying for prophecy. And I started praying in tongues. <laughs> I got the gift of tongues. And it was like, okay, Lord, what do I do with this? And it was such a blessing. It was such a blessing because when I didn't know how to pray, the Spirit prayed through me, and it drew me closer to God. So my journey continued. I went back to school, finished. Life was good. I was living my life for Christ, going to prayer meetings, studying, and I met this guy. And he was the kindest man I'd ever met. And we started dating. I never wanted to get married, and he wanted to get married. So for five years, we did this back and forth thing. And I said, okay, let's get married. So we got married. 
and it was wonderful. I did this thing after we got married. I was invited to be on a Teens Encounter Christ weekend. And it's a wonderful weekend for high school age kids, and I think up to a sophomore in college. And I was asked if I would be on a team. I didn't know anything that was going to happen, and I said, sure. So part of the weekend, if you've never been to a Teens Encounter Christ weekend, is that they give you a Bible. So they presented me with my Bible, and when they present you with a Bible, you have to pull a scripture verse out of the Bible that's used on the weekends. So I pulled this scripture verse out, and it's Proverbs 3, 5, 6, which is, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. On your own intelligence rely not. In all your ways be mindful of him, and he will direct your paths. So I thought, I like this verse, and I put it in my Bible, and I'm going to work on Tuesday, and I'm on the interstate going to Clarksburg, and this car passes me, and on the side of the car is a magnet that says Proverbs 356. <laughs> and it has the verse. And I was like, that's really cool. That's my verse. Right? So a few weeks later, I'm driving to Clarksburg, and this car cuts me off. Right? On the license plate is Proverbs 356. So I said, okay, Lord, what is it? I'm not trusting you enough, am I? And I started to pray that verse. Lord, please help me to trust in you with all my heart and not rely on my own intelligence or understanding because that was very important to me. It was important for me to understand things. And in all my ways, Lord, help me to acknowledge you and be mindful of you, and you will direct my path. I started to pray that as a prayer, and, and the Lord knew what was coming, which is why that happened. So life's good, and we decided to have a baby. So I didn't want to be married, and I didn't want to have a baby, and we had baby number one, and it was wonderful. And shortly after we had baby number one, I received in the mail from a young woman that attended a tech, a rosary. She wrote me the most beautiful letter, and she made me the rosary. She urged me to pray the rosary. My mother urged me to pray the rosary. And I thought, you know what? I have the Father, and I have the Son, and I have the Holy Spirit. I'm good. And I put that rosary in a drawer with the letter, and I knew where it was, and I kept it there. We got pregnant with baby number two, and Brayden was uh, born on January 1st of 1999, but he was due on January 21st. So on New Year's Day, we were up and about, and we just finished breakfast, and I didn't feel right. And I began to hemorrhage profusely. My aunt lived a few blocks from us, and usually every New Year, she went to St. Louis and spent New Year's with friends. But this year, she happened to be at home. So Mike called her and said, you need to come and stay with Brian. We have an emergency over here. I tried to get my doctor, who was in Morgantown at Ruby, and he wasn't in. It was New Year's Day, and the nurse told me, you know, just get here as quickly as you can. I called my parents, and they said they were going to Mass, and they lifted us up in prayer. So my aunt comes over, and by this time, I am just saturated. We get in the car, and Mike and I are praying, and I'm praying Proverbs 3, 5, 6. When we left our home in Fairmont, I fully thought we were going to Ruby. Mike gets off the downtown exit, and I said, what are you doing? And he said, we're going to Fairmont General. Something just tells me to go to Fairmont General. And we ended up at Fairmont General. They were waiting on me because my aunt called Fairmont General and said, my niece is on her way, but we were going to Ruby. They put me in an examination room, and the doctor should have been there and gone. He just got there. He was running late. So he came in and he explained to me that I had a placental abruption and that time was of the essence because the baby could die. 
and he said, we're going to do an emergency C-section and we're going to do it right now. He looked at me, he looked me right in the eyes and he said, you need to trust God. And I said, I do. I came out of anesthesia and I said, is the baby okay? And they said, he's fine. And we didn't know what we were having. So I had another boy and, and they said, and you're fine too. You lost a lot of blood, but you're going to be fine. The Lord orchestrated each and every moment of that. So each and everything, he just had his hands on and he was directing my path, our path. And we asked the doctor a few days later, how close was that? And he said, you know, I'm not God, but in my years of doing this, he said another 20 minutes and you probably both would have died. So I thank Jesus for that. I praise him for that, for his goodness. I'm married. I have two children. I'm working part-time. I'm working for a really good company and I have a really good job and my co-workers were my friends and I started to get restless. The job just wasn't cutting it anymore. I knew that I was a daughter of the king and I had my identity. But my identity was also defined to a strong degree by my profession. But I started getting really restless. Mike came home one night and said, hey, there's this job I'd really like to, to throw my resume in for. And I said, well, what is it? And he said, well, it's this, this, and this. He said, but the only thing is it requires travel. And I said, how much travel? And he said, well, it's project driven, so it depends on the project, but I could probably be home most weekends. And my knee jerk was, no way. There is no way. And then I said, you know what? Let me pray about it. And I prayed about it, and I said, Lord, if I'm meant to quit my job, because I'm not feeling it right now, and I can't believe this is coming out of my mouth because I never wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. And I said, if I'm meant to do this, then you let Mike get this job. Mike got the job. I quit my job. And when I wrote that letter of resignation, I was so peaceful. It was like I had not a, not a doubt. Mike is away at work, I'm at home, and life is good. I started to get, after about three months, really restless. <laughs> okay, Lord, here I am. I, I need something for me, so I'm trusting that you're going to give me something. And I prayed that way for a while. And then my former pastor from St. Elizabeth Ann Seton came to Immaculate Conception in Fairmont, Father Patsy. There was a charismatic mass at St. Francis de Sales one Saturday morning. Brian and I went and it was a lovely mass. Father Patsy, when I came through the door, he said, hey, there's somebody here I'd like for you to meet from Immaculate Conception. I didn't know her, even though I went to Immaculate Conception, so he introduced me to Annette Alessio. We talked and went out to the car together, and I asked her what she thought, because she'd never been to a charismatic mass, and she said, oh, it's okay, but really not for me. And I said, okay. Prayer groups started, and Annette went to Pipestem, and was baptized in the Holy Spirit and came back and was on fire for Jesus. And we started to develop this friendship and we would talk about the Lord. And she started doing music, music ministry with Father Patsy at, at the prayer meeting. There was a day of renewal coming up and she said, hey, could you come to the church? I'm going to do this meditative song, but I've got these three selections. And if you could help me narrow it down, I'd appreciate it. I said, sure. So I met her at the church and she played the guitar and sang the first two songs and they were okay but didn't wow me. And then this third song she sang was absolutely beautiful. I've always loved to sing, but in my car or in my home or in the shower, not, not in front of people. So when I said this to her, it was just like, come back your words, come back. I said, could I sing that song with you right now? And she said, sure. So I went up so I could see the words and I started to sing the song with her. And this harmony comes out of my mouth. 
I had never been able to sing harmony. I'd never had the ear for it. But as I'm listening to myself sing this harmony, I'm like in shock. Where is this coming from? And I had another one of those experiences where I felt the warmth of the Holy Spirit cover me from head to toe. And I said, what is this about, Lord? Long story short, the Lord was preparing Annette and I for music ministry. And shortly thereafter, I joined Father Patsy and Annette and was part of the music ministry for the prayer group. I'm now part of the music ministry for Magnificat. And it is one of the greatest blessings in my life. Had I not listened to the Lord, to that restlessness that was inside of me, and quit my job, I would have never had the time to pursue that. The Lord knew what was best for me. And you know, when I quit that job, I was surprised at how much my identity was still wrapped up in my profession. And I heard the Lord say, I want you to go deeper with me. And that's where I went and going to prayer meetings and life is good and, and growing in the Lord and my boys are growing and the next several years that would follow would be some of the most difficult and challenging years of my life. My mother was diagnosed with sarcoma and she went through radiation. She was fine. Doctors believe they got it all. And a few months after she completed her treatment, she started to become very forgetful, very confused and it just progressed. So we took her to a neurologist and she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's and we were devastated. But this doesn't have a good outcome. For five and a half years, it was an eight year battle, eight year downhill spiral. But for five and a half years, my father was her primary caregiver. I saw the love of Christ poured out into my mother from my father. It was selfless. It was beautiful and it moved me. He sacrificed his life for her. What's so Christ-like? After five and a half years, she got to the point where she became immobile and we had to make a decision and it was the hardest decision of our lives it was gut-wrenching we put her in a facility where they could give her the physical care that she needed and it rocked our world i couldn't think i couldn't sleep i couldn't pray i couldn't praise i was just i was everywhere and i wasn't anywhere and i had a dream and in this dream, I went to my parents' house and my mother and it was there and my father and my aunt, and my uncle, and my aunt had passed several years earlier from cancer. But when I walked in, my mother and aunt looked just absolutely beautiful. And I walked in and I said, Hey, what's going on? And my mom said, Carla, I have to leave. And I said, what do you mean you have to leave? And my aunt said, I've come to take your mom. She's going with me. And I said, well, I don't understand, but mom before you go there's one thing I want and she said well what is it and I said I want your cross and she said I've promised that to somebody and I said mom I want your cross and she said okay and she went to her bedroom and she came back and her hand was closed and I assumed that her cross was in her hand and she stood right in front of me and she opened her hand and in her hand was her miraculous medal and she put that medal around my neck and she hugged me and she left. I woke up from that dream very upset and I thought about it and I prayed about it and what my mother was telling me was to turn to the Blessed Mother and I did. That rosary that that young girl sent me, I got out of that drawer and I prayed and I prayed the rosary. I would go see my mother and I would sit at her bedside and sometimes she'd be awake and at this point my mother had very limited language skills and she didn't know me but she at times would try to pray with me 
I prayed the rosary in the middle of the night when I would wake up. I prayed the rosary. A friend of mine sent me a CD, and I prayed that rosary on the way to work, and I prayed that rosary when I was running errands, and it, it kept me in touch with God. And when I would pray that rosary, one time I was sitting there praying, and I just had this, this image of the Blessed Mother, and she just stood there beside me. And as, as I started to pray and speak my intentions, I, I saw myself giving her these intentions. And she'd walk to Jesus. And she'd lay them at the foot of the cross. And she'd look up at him. And she'd come back and she would just wait for more. No one wants to take us to the heart of Jesus more than the Blessed Mother. And that's what she did for me. And that's what she did for my family. She is an intercessor and prays nonstop for us. My mother never quit praying. There were many times I'd walk into her room. I mean, she had two places she could be. One was the bed, and the other was the chair that I came to loathe. And she would be praying in tongues. She almost died twice. And the second time, she was very close. And I kept praying for the grace of a happy and holy death for my mother. And I prayed the Lord would have mercy upon her quickly. I let God have it. I said, what is the deal? Why? I don't understand this. What is going on? And he answered my prayer. A few weeks later, I walked into the facility, and a nurse came up to me. She said, Carla, i got to tell you something. She said, your mother knows when somebody's dying in this hospice wing. And I said, what do you mean? She doesn't, even, she doesn't know anything that's going on around her. And she said, no, she knows. She goes into this like prayer mode, and she prays until they pass. And I thought, no, that's, that's not right. I dismissed it. A week later, I went in. A different nurse grabbed me, told me the same thing. I was told that three times by three different people, and I had my answer. My mother was an intercessor, and I didn't leave her. She lost her memory. She didn't know who her family was. She lost the ability to walk. She lost the ability to talk. She lost the ability to cognitively think. What she didn't lose was her love of God, the love of the Blessed Mother, and her desire to intercede. So by the world's standards, she really had nothing to offer. But by God's standards, she was serving him. And that was such a witness for me. And on the day my mother died, when I walked into that room, sat on the bed beside her, and she was praying in tongues. And that's the way she went to the Lord, to Jesus. My mother died in January of 2017. In September of 2017, I started to have some really weird physical symptoms that would later be diagnosed as Lyme disease. I was having uh, brain fog, I was having light sensitivity, noise sensitivity, I couldn't feel my legs, just a whole list of things. I was tested for everything. I was tested for MS, I was tested for my fibromyalgia, I was tested for... I went to a, a chapter meeting one night and I was given two scripture readings. And one was from Sirach 38 that I would really like to share. Lynn had this reading for me. This is from Sirach, chapter 38. Make friends with the doctor, for he is essential to you. God has also established him in his profession. From God, the doctor has wisdom, and from the king, he receives sustenance. Knowledge makes the doctor distinguished and gives access to those in authority. God makes the earth yield healing herbs, which the prudent should not neglect. Was not the water sweetened by a twig, so that all might learn his power? He endows people with knowledge to glory in his mighty works, through which the doctor eases pain and the druggist prepares his medicines. Thus God's work continues without cease in its efficiency on the surface of the earth. 
My son, when you are ill, do not delay, but pray to God, for it is he who heals. Offer your sweet-smelling oblation and memorial a generous offering according to your means. Then give the doctor his place, lest he leave you, you need him too. For there are times when recovery is in his hand. He too prays to God that his diagnosis may be correct and his treatment bring about a cure. The Lord had that reading for me. At this time I was getting very frustrated and, and I remembered being bitten by a tick. I started recently Lyme disease, knew I had it. I went and I begged my primary care physician to please start the antibiotic protocol because by now it was October and if you don't get antibiotic treatment <laughs> almost immediately it progresses to a chronic state. So she gave me the antibiotic and I began searching for a doctor that knew something about Lyme and I found one and that lasted for a while but then I started having all these other things that symptoms that were happening because it, it, it can affect every system in your body. I, I was going to a physical therapist at the time and I asked him, I said, you know any good primary care physicians because mine had retired in between all this? He said, yeah, and he told me about a doctor that he went to. Well, I, I made an appointment, but I couldn't get an appointment with his doctor. I made an appointment with the, the PA there. She walked in and I said, at this point I'm interviewing doctors because I'm frustrated. And she walked in, you know, introduced myself, and I said, do you know anything about Lyme disease? And she said, yes, I do, and I've had some personal experience with it. Thank you, Jesus. So she's checking me out, and I'm telling her everything that's happening to me. She said, you know, I have a friend whose daughter has Lyme disease, and it's, it's really severe. Basically had to move to the basement because she couldn't, you know, she had to have cover her eyes with a blindfold, and she had to block out all noise, and she's going on and on. They've traveled all over the country, and... But she was healed. And I said, what do you mean she was healed? And she said, well, they went to this doctor in Cleveland who has the gift of healing. And I said, really? And she said, yes. She said, would you like to talk to her? And I said, I, I would love to talk to her. So we, we talked for a couple of hours on the phone and she shared the journey of her daughter with me. And then she talked about this doctor in Cleveland. And she talked about how on the way up, her daughter had to lay in the back seat of the car with a blindfold and with earphones on and they had to stop ever so often because her daughter would throw up and she had severe migraines and they went to this doctor and this doctor was with her for two and a half hours and on the ride home she had earbuds in and was eating salad she gave me his name now I thought this was shortly after Christmas my mother's still alive so I, I thought okay I'm praying about it well, in the meantime, I'd, I'd gone to this retreat, my first ever silent retreat, and Father Bill Kill was the retreat master, and it was the most wonderful retreat I'd ever been on in my life. He gave a, a teaching about the adulterous woman. He said, now, you know, as I go through this, I, I want you to imagine yourself as each person in this story, as Jesus, as the Pharisee, and as the woman. And I did that. And when I, I got to the Pharisee, I, I had an image of myself and I was holding those rocks. I probably had more rocks in my hand than anybody else. And I heard God say, drop the rocks. It's time. Drop the rocks. Because I had unforgiveness in my heart. I said, Lord, and I had been praying for years that I'd be able to forgive what I needed to forgive. Just was not able to do that. And I said, okay, Lord, but I don't know how. So I went to communion. I need to back up because I left something very important out. I went to a Magnificat breakfast here in December 2016, and Annette Baber was the speaker. And I told her I had Lyme, and she prayed over me. And what she said to me was, God showed me you're going to be healed, but it's going to be a process. And every time you go to communion, you need to pray. 
for the graces for healing. That it just wash over you and be expectant when you do that. And I did that every time I went to communion. But I added something else. I said, Lord, if I could just touch the hem of your cloak, I know I'll be healed. And I prayed that for months. I'm at this retreat and I'm getting ready to go to communion and I want to drop these rocks in my hand. And in the uh, sanctuary at St. Emma's is a statue of Our Lady of Fatima in the corner. I had asked the Blessed Mother to intercede for me that I'd be able to forgive. I'm walking up and my eyes are shut and I'm praying that I drop the rocks and I open my eyes and Our Lady is right in front of me and she is smiling and I felt her embrace me and I knew that I was going to be able to do this and I received his body and I prayed that prayer and I received his blood and I prayed that prayer and then I felt Jesus embrace me and I went back and I knelt down and I dropped those rocks because that was an obstacle to my healing. I felt like a helium balloon, like I was floating around that sanctuary. I felt so light and I felt so joy-filled. And then I went back home and I'm praying about whether I should go see this doctor. Lord, I really need to hear, I really need to hear from you if I need to go see this doctor. And I opened my Bible to Sirach 38 about the hands of the doctor. And I called and this was a Wednesday. And she said, hey, you know what? Today's your lucky day. We just had a cancellation for Friday. And you know what? We're having a healing service on Saturday. Why don't you just come up, you know, see him on Friday and go to this healing service on Saturday? So I did. Mike and I went. We prayed the rosary. We're praying on the way to Cleveland. And we get there and he's always running late because he prays in between appointments. And we waited. But we're sitting in his outer office and the artwork just starts to interest me. And, and I later found that all the artwork is done by his patients or donated by his patients. But you walk in and the first thing I saw was uh, one of his patients during one of her treatments saw his guardian angel and did a watercolor picture. And then I went into the inner office and I just stopped because I had no clue what to expect. I didn't know if this guy was Catholic. I knew nothing about him. And the first thing I saw was a statue of the Blessed Mother. And I saw a crucifix and I saw a rosary and I this crucifixion sculpture, one of his hit the crucifixion scene, one of his patients bought it for him and the artwork was just beautiful and I felt the presence of Christ. And I'm going on and on about the artwork with his secretary. My head's going like this because it, there's just so much and she's sharing with me about some of the artwork. Let me show you this one we just got a couple of weeks ago and she turned around and off her bookshelf she pulled this pencil drawing and put it on her desk and I looked down and I began to weep. It was the hemorrhaging woman touching the hem of Jesus which is what I prayed. If I could just touch the hem, I'll be healed, Lord, I know. And in that moment, I believe I was healed. So it was my time to go in and, and see the doctor. And I, I went in, and he knew nothing about me other than I had Lyme disease. I had no medical history. You sit in this chair, and, and he measures the electromagnetic current in your body, and where there's a deficiency, he can tell if you've been sore, what your history is. So he's telling me my medical history and he is spot on. He said, so a few weeks ago you had this infection. Uh-huh. And you've had this, you had this when you were younger. Uh-huh. And he's he said, you have a balance problem? And I said, yes, I do. And he said, put your legs out. So I put my legs out and my left foot would always want to go to the left. I could never hold it straight when my legs were straight out. And he shuts his eyes and lays his hands on me and he doesn't say anything out loud. So I thought, oh, he's praying. So I shut my eyes and I'm holding my rosary and I'm praying. And I feel my legs start to turn. I look down and his hands are stationary. And I shut my eyes again and I still feel my leg turning. And I'm looking down, I open my eyes and my leg is turning. 
And he looks up at me and I said, did you just move my leg? And he said, no, my leg was straight. My foot was straight. Jesus, he's telling me, he proceeds to, to go on and on with my history. And I thought, I'm just going to ask him. I said, so you're seeing all this stuff and you're telling me what's wrong with me. Do you see any Lyme disease running around in my body? And he said, there's none. It is gone. I claim that healing. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus healed me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. On your own intelligence, rely not. And all your ways, be mindful of him. And he will direct your paths. I think of all the paths I could have taken, and I did take. And then I think of all the paths that he led me on. He is so good, and he is so merciful, and he is so kind. And he calls us each by name, and he wants us, and he wants all of us. He wants the big, and he wants the little. And Our Lady just is waiting for us to give her our intentions so she can take them to her son. We're never alone, even when we think we are. We always have an invitation. God's a gentleman. He's not going to bowl the door over to get to us. Each and every day we have an invitation as he quietly says, Come to me, all you who are labored, and I will give you rest. I thank the Lord and I praise him for all he has done for me, for what he's showing me each and every day. Thank him for his goodness. Thank him for his mercy. Amen. Why? Thanks so much for listening to this Magnificat podcast. Have you been touched by our time together? If so, for more information or to find a Magnificat chapter near you, go to our website at magnificat-ministry.org or visit us on social media. We would love to hear from you. You can also email us at magnificatcst at aol.com or call 504-828-MARY, M-A-R-Y. Until the next time, may God bless you.